At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. It's a joy to be here with you all again this morning. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is John Schroeder, and we have a partnership together uh, financially, but also we have a partnership with our friends and relationship. I've known Kirk for a few years through Acts 29, and so I'm just so glad to be tangibly here with you all this morning. It just it reminds me of this Big C Church that we talk about a lot, and so just being here is a great joy for me. My son gets to join me as well this morning. So. We are going to continue the series in the book of Luke together. So you guys have been in Luke chapter 8 for the last few weeks, and so we're going to continue to do that. We see what takes place is Jesus begins in parable, uh, and then we begin to see some things that Jesus is doing that confirms who he is. And so we saw already in Luke uh, chapter 8, Jesus over the power uh, of nature, right? So he calms the sea. So we know that Jesus is, uh, has the power over nature. We also see already in Luke chapter 8 that he has the power over spirits, right? He casts out a demon. So we're seeing this Jesus walk around and do amazing and great things. And today, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus has the power over sickness and death. So my job today is very simple. My goal this morning is to proclaim that Jesus has power over sickness and and death. Right? So let me go ahead. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word reveals who you are. It also reveals who we are. And in doing so, reveals our great need for reconciliation between God and man through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do great work today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start off with a question. Have you ever been in a crisis? Right now, I'm not talking about just like an obstacle that we've kind of dealt with, maybe some frustration, maybe in the Christmas season where you're just kind of, I'm just trying to get things done. It just feels really heavy. I'm talking about things that have happened in your life where you've spent time, energy, and resources, and the thing that comes out from all of those things is this feeling of hopelessness. That's crisis. I'll share a personal story with you. So me and my wife, when we got married, we read a lot of Vodi Bauckham. We love him, and we think that his idea of family and traditions and all those things was great. And so our hope was to have a bunch of children. So we had Judah about a year and a half into our marriage, and then we had four consecutive miscarriages. And we were really confused. We were following Jesus, Uh, we began after the second one to say, hey, is there something medically that we can figure out? And so we went to the doctors, we spent money to try to figure out what's going on. No clue, no answer. Then we had Jessa. She's now seven. So it was great to have her. And then we had five more consecutive miscarriages. So when we think about pregnancy, listen, we've had friends that uh, were pregnant when we were pregnant. And so we're happy for people. It's not one of those things where we just, we don't like children, right? But when we experience pregnancy, there is a state of hopelessness at times because we don't know what's going to happen. 
and we've spent money on the doctors and we've tried and we had to pay for all of the all the things that come with pregnancy right crisis is real now you may not and may not have experienced something like this but maybe you've experienced a different family loss maybe it's been a parent or maybe a grandparent maybe you've experienced some form of trauma growing up as a child that's a crisis in your life. And so it's, maybe you even have a chronic pain that just won't go away. Uh, maybe they're, maybe you have a child with disabilities. Or maybe you have a child who's wayward, who has fallen away from the faith. Maybe there were people that were in the service a few years ago that are no longer here today. And it just feels like it's hopeless. Now, I say these things to stir up emotions, not to harm you, but to help you heal. Because in order to understand this text, we have to get there. These two people in the text are in crisis mode. And if we don't experience what they're experiencing in this, we're going to miss the text. They come to Jesus in crisis. So let's look at the text. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Before I start, let me say this. In crisis, what we're going to see, in crisis, run to Jesus because he is who he says he is. Where is that in the text? Right here. Verses 40 through 44. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowds welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Can someone say crisis? As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Can someone say crisis? She came up behind him and touched him, the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood was ceased. So let's stop here for just a minute. Remember, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is coming upon the shore and people are coming to him. Why are they coming to him? Well, there's many reasons. One, he's a miracle worker, so this is incredible, right? If you saw that, you would want to come and be a part of the crowd. But it's also because of the things that Jesus had been saying. Remember in Luke chapter four, he stands up before the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah and he says, all this has been fulfilled now, in me, I'm here. The kingdom has come. That's a huge statement. Jesus is saying he is the Messiah. He's saying that he is the one who has come. And these two people are wrestling with believing that Jesus is who he says that he is. This is what's taking place. Jairus and this woman didn't know what Jesus would actually do, but they believed him to be the answer. They didn't know what he was going to do. They just believed that he was the Messiah. That's what he was saying, and he was doing great works, and so they run to Jesus because he had become their answer. See, both of them put their lives in some way on the line by running to Jesus. So let's look at Jairus. Who is Jairus? Jairus is someone who is a leader of a synagogue. Now, you guys know, if you're, even if you watch The Chosen or if you just read the Bible, Jesus and the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, they don't get along, right? There's conflict there, right? They want him gone. 
And yet we see a leader of the synagogue coming to Jesus, imploring himself and falling at Jesus's feet, a rabbi that they disagree with and looking up and saying, I need your help. Now this puts him in a very awkward position because his status tells him not to do that. But when you're in crisis, you do foolish things, right? When you're in crisis mode, listen, there was another uh, person in the, in the synagogue that we saw uh, engage with Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. Do you remember him? When did he come to Jesus? In the middle of the night, so he wouldn't get caught. And he wanted to talk about theology. Jairus couldn't wait to the middle of the night. He needed Jesus now. And because he was willing to do that, he would put his position at stake. This is who Jairus was, and this is what he was dealing with. In crisis, he ran to Jesus because he believed he was the answer. He didn't care. He didn't want to be right anymore. He needed Jesus. So that's what we see. In crisis, we're willing to make a fool of ourselves. He believed that Jesus was now more important than being right. And he put himself in a position where he could lose his status. But what about this woman? This woman believed Jesus enough to risk her life, not just her status, but her life. We need to see in this passage that she makes Jesus the deciding factor of her fate. Right here. This is it. She's putting everything on the line. Who is this woman? Well, what we see in the text is that she was a woman who had a discharge of blood, which means, according to Leviticus 15, 25, that she was considered unclean. Okay? Now, she had been dealing with this for 12 years, so she could be anywhere between 25 and older. And she had been dealing with this issue of blood. What this does is it doesn't allow her to be a part of the covenant people. Because when you're unclean, you can't go to the temple. You can't go to synagogue. You can't do that. Like, consider your own position in your mind. You could not go to church even if you wanted to. You couldn't go to Christmas party. You couldn't go to the New Year's Eve party. People couldn't come to your birthday. People couldn't hug you without going through a cleansing and if you touch someone on purpose, according to Leviticus 15, you could also be stoned to death. This was a very serious thing that she was dealing with personally. Not only did she have this issue, but she was separated from people for 12 years. That's a long time to be in crisis, hopelessness. Not only that, she also gave money to try to figure out what the issue was. She didn't do this to herself. She tried to figure out, hey, how can we fix this issue so that I can be a part of my friends, be a part of the covenant people? But no longer was she able to do that. She tried everything. Listen, you know, there are times where my children will take medicine and they don't like what it tastes like, right? But at least now we try to figure out what it's going to taste like. Think about back in the day. She tried everything. Some of the things that she tried were disgusting, just to try to make it right, and she had no answer. So she runs to Jesus knowing that she is unclean. And here's what happens. She touches a whole bunch of people to get through the crowd, but then she touches a rabbi. She touches a teacher. But see, when you're in crisis, you don't give up. 
You just don't. This woman didn't give up. Even though she was hopeless, she ran to Jesus because she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She made Jesus the deciding factor of her fate. We see this also in another part of scripture in the Old Testament. You guys remember in Daniel chapter three with the three Hebrew boys? Do you remember what they told the Pharaoh? Here it is. In Daniel chapter three, verses 16 and 18, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furry uh, fire, uh, furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen, she believed that Jesus was the answer. So she put all of her fate, her life and death in Jesus' hands. If Jesus did not heal her, she could be stoned. She was okay with that. Do you see? Her crisis led her to Jesus and she said, okay, whatever happens from here on out, I'm trusting Jesus. If I'm dead, I'm dead. If I'm alive, I'm alive. In crisis, we run to Jesus because he is who he says that he is. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is everything that he says that he is? This is the question that we have to answer because if not, we're not going to run to him. We're gonna to run to everything else. It's just our nature. We gotta figure out who are we going to worship? Who are we going to trust above everything else? We run to Jesus she does all the right things. Again, I don't think it's a lack of faith to go and see if there are medical things that we could have done, but there wasn't. There was no answer. And so we go to Jesus before, after, during, because we believe that Jesus should be the deciding factor of our fate. Not only that, in crisis, we run to Jesus because he cares for us more than we know. He cares for you more than you know. Let's look at this in verses 45 through 50. And also 54 through 55, it says this, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been made immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, someone say daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While she was still speaking, some of, from, the, from the rulers of the house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus on hearing this answer, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Verse 54 through 55, but taking her by the hand, he called her to say, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that someone, something should be given to her to eat. So let's look at these two people. Again, they run to Jesus in crisis and they're gonna find out that he actually cares more for them than we will ever know. 
You see, the woman came to Jesus because she needed healing. But more than that, he gave her restoration. Watch this. He stops to call her out amongst the crowd. He says, wait, who touched me? And then awkward silence. Anyone like awkward silence? I kind of like it a little bit. Probably too much. So awkward silence. And then Peter like tries to like fix it. Like, man, man, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. But then Jesus continues to wait. He says, no, someone touched me. And we'll get to this place a little bit in just a second where he says, power came out from me. But he just stands there. Now again, Jairus is dealing with this issue. He's waiting, right? He's in urgent crisis still. And Jesus is standing there and he just waits. And when the woman find out that she could not be hidden any longer, she comes out and she tells her story. And then Jesus calls her daughter. Listen, Jesus did not come for an abstract relationship with you. He didn't come for a drive-by Jesus. You understand? He didn't come to keep us away from him, but to bring us in. There is no metaverse Jesus where he just wants us to kind of stay distant, but we're kind of there. He actually comes to meet with us face to face. When you run to Jesus, he wants to look at you. He wants to have this moment. He could have just healed her and kept going, but he wanted her to let him know, let her know that he sees her. Listen, Jesus calls her out so that he can call her daughter. Listen, her story is one of uh, shame. Her story is one of mess. She's sharing her story. She's saying, listen, I've been unclean for 12 years. That's not something that you want to share with a whole bunch of people. I'm, I have a messy life. I have all these issues. And you guys know that these issues are, they could be dealt with by stoning, cleansing, all of these kind of things. But I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to tell you my mess. And Jesus allows her to do that so that he can call her daughter. What he does, he doesn't just heal her. He brings her back into the covenant family. He doesn't call her daughter because she's, she's younger than him. He calls her daughter because she's a part of the covenant family. And she'd been missing that for so long. It wasn't just about the healing. It was about being restored back to the covenant family. And he did that for her in that moment. That wasn't what, even what she was asking for, but that's what Jesus gave her. And this is so huge for us because Jesus, you run to Jesus because he cares for you more than you know. And he does things more than you're asking. You see, Jesus wanted more for her than she wanted for herself. He exposes her story so that he can restore her. And I just think about the facial expression that Jesus has. I mean, I grew up in a church and an understanding of theology that you don't look at the face of Jesus and when you do, just, he's just constantly disappointed in you. You just don't match up. But I don't think that's what Jesus' face looked like here. He waited for her. He wasn't frustrated with her by stopping him doing some ministry, right? He's going somewhere and she interrupts him and yet he waits for her because he loves her. This is what Jesus does for us. His face is one of love and peace and joy and he offers that even when we don't even ask. Back to Jairus. What did he want from Jesus? Well, he wanted Jesus to heal his daughter, but then finds out that his daughter dies. And Jairus doesn't even get a chance to respond. You notice that? 
Jesus goes ahead and just steps right into it. Listen, Jesus steps into our mess, right? He didn't even get a chance to respond to this horrible news. He says, I'm going to step in and I'm going to say something first. And what does he say? Mm. He says, your daughter is not dead. Do not be troubled. Here's what he does for Jairus. He says, do not fear. Believe that she is not dead. But, but sleeping. I'm going to say this again because I think this is so important. Jairus didn't know exactly what Jesus was going to do. He had no idea. He just said, well, Jesus said it. I put my life on it in his hands. I'm going to follow what he says. So if he says, don't worry, then I'm not going to worry. You see, you see what I'm saying? He didn't put it, confidence in him. He put his confidence in Jesus. Because at that point, again, he ran to Jesus because he knew that Jesus would be the answer. So Jesus is the answer to your crisis. But listen, both with this woman and with Jairus, he may not solve it the way that we want him to. She wanted healing, she got restoration. This man thought that he would heal her daughter, his daughter, and Jesus actually revived her. So a lot of times we'll think, well, what if, what if Jesus doesn't come through for me? Well, this text is not trying to answer the question, and it's not about will Jesus heal or will Jesus raise from the dead? That's not what the text is asking. The text is asking us, can he? And the reality is, is that he can. That's what the text is about. The text is not will he, but can he? And we run to Jesus because he can. Now, again, he might not solve it the way we want him to, the text is demanding that we see that it's true. Listen, e even if nothing else took place in our personal lives, the text is drawing us to say, can God do it? And the text says, yes. So we run to Jesus. Yes. The text is enough for us. It is enough for us. So Jesus is the answer to your crisis, but he may not, may not solve it the way that we want him to. We also see this, another instance, in John chapter 11, verse 4. Remember when Jesus had his friend that he loved named Lazarus? He was not feeling well, and out of his love for him, he stayed. And Mary and Martha were really confused. Because they said, no, you could, why didn't you come earlier? See, they thought they had in their mind the result that needed to take place, instead of trusting in Jesus and what he said. Now, here's the thing in the text that we have to be mindful of. It's not just that we look at it and we say, okay, if Jesus can do this, then he's gonna do this in my life specifically. I'm just gonna take the text and just throw it into my life. We have to recognize that Jesus spoke to Jairus specifically. He said, Jairus, do not fear, right? Your daughter is sleeping. He didn't say that to me in the, in the fact of our miscarriages. He said, do not fear, but he didn't say that he was going to do something specifically in those moments. So I've got to be mindful of that, right? I need to look at the text and say, listen, he can do it. He's going to do it in a way that pleases him. That's best for me. Now, I don't understand why it would be best for me 
and my wife to go through nine miscarriages. I don't. But I ran to Jesus every time because he's the answer. He is the answer. And I don't know what you're going through, but I promise you this, the text demands that he would be the answer. So not only do we run to him because he is who he says that he is, and not only do we run to him because he cares more for us than we could care for ourselves, but in crisis, we run to Jesus because ultimately he is the only one to carry you through in life and death. Let's look at it really quickly again at verse 46. It said, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Do you recognize that in this moment, that her healing, her restoration, her redemption cost Jesus something? Cost him something. We can pull from that principle of that passage is that it costs Jesus to restore us too. Power came from Jesus to restore you. What does that look like? Well, Jesus takes on our deepest crisis by calling us his child. You notice that both of them are called daughter. So there's an element of child. There's an element of covenant family here that we need to pull from. Jesus takes on our deepest crisis and it's not the one that... As, as we were talking through and I was trying to help kind of stir some of these thoughts up in your mind, it's actually deeper than that. The greatest crisis we could ever experience is a life without Christ, is a life that was destined for hell that we could not overcome. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of success. There's no amount of religious activities that you can perform that will get you to where you need to be with Jesus, with God. It's not going to happen. And that causes hopelessness. Our deepest crisis is the reality that we did not have peace with God. We were gonna stand before him in the throne room and he was going to say, I do not know you. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I get in these modes and I just, I just begin to think about what would it be like to experience separation from God for not just a day, not just a moment, for eternity and know that it will never cease. That is the deepest crisis and the most hopeless I could ever experience. But Jesus takes on our deepest crisis by calling us child. He brings us in to the covenant family, but it costs him something cost him his life. He died on the cross so that we could exchange this reality, the, 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 the truth that the righteousness of God must be our um, offering, and we do not have that, and Jesus switched them. I use this analogy a, whole, a lot. It's like having two book covers, or having two books with two book covers, and one is my life, and it says John at the top. The other one says Jesus. And if you open up my book, you see some good things in it, but mostly it's sin and foolishness and all this kind of stuff. And then you look at Jesus's life and you see 33 years of perfection, right? Never done anything wrong. What Jesus does on the cross is he removes the book covers and he switches them. So that when Jesus, when, when the God the Father looked at 
Jesus, now he saw all this unrighteousness. He says, I'm going to judge that. The wrath of God will be upon that and I will judge it correctly. But then he looks at my book and he says, righteous. That was our deepest crisis. This is what Jesus offers to us. Now, we might hear that and maybe you've been in church for a long time or maybe again, you've experienced a crisis over and over and over again and you just don't know how to process it. Let me tell you what not to do. I think the text tells us that as well. Really quickly, I'm just gonna look at verse 51 through 54 of chapter eight. It says, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 53, and they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her saying, child, arise. Here's what we don't do. This is what I do but this is what I shouldn't do. Sometimes I criticize and I laugh. God, you're not gonna help me. God, you're not gonna be there. God, I don't believe in you in this moment. It's too hard. I'm gonna run to other things. These people criticize Jesus and I want you to know that Jesus still went in the house. You see, criticism doesn't slow him down. He takes it on. Not only does it take our guilt and our shame and our questions, but he takes our criticism too and he still walks into the mess. He could take your criticism. He could take your doubt. That's what he does. This is who he is. See, we run to Jesus because not only does he take on our crisis, but he takes on our criticism too. He will come for you. He loves us. But did you notice that Jairus and his, and, and his family and the disciples were able to go into the house, but the people that laughed weren't. It's just helpful to know. It's helpful to know that Jesus brings those who believe, who trust him. Though we may criticize at times, we need to end up falling on our knees and trusting Jesus. We run to Jesus because he is who he says that he is. We run to Jesus because he cares way more than we ever could. We run to Jesus because he's the only one to carry you through life and death. I don't know what you have put upon to try to fix that ultimate need in your life, or maybe there's a real physical crisis that you're dealing with right now, whether it's uh, in your family, in your friends, in your faith, whatever it may be. Some of our crisis shows up on Instagram or Facebook, right? Just calling out somebody, I feel hopeless. What this text drives us to do is to run to Jesus. That's what we do. We run to Jesus. I wanna quickly take you to Luke chapter nine. So it's only a little bit over. Luke chapter nine, verses 43 and 44. He says this, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. 
But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, so let's just stop there for just a second. He's doing great things. He just healed a boy with an unclean spirit. People are going nuts. And he just turns over to his disciples. And what does he say to his disciples? He says, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men but they did not understand this, this saying and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Here's what Jesus does. All the marveling, all the wonders are real and true. God does have the power over sickness and death, but the greatest miracle, the greatest thing, when everyone else is marveling at those things, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I have something greater to tell you. I'm gonna die. Let those words sink in. Let those words sink in. So Jesus takes on our deepest crisis by calling us child, and that is ultimately what we need. That's what Jesus tells us, his closest friends during this marvelous time of God doing great things. But they didn't understand it, but guess what? We can we see, we see the end of the book. Here's the thing. Let me, let me go back to this. This woman and Jairus had no idea what Jesus was going to do. We read it within 10, 15 seconds. We're like, oh yeah, they're healed. Oh, that was obvious. They had no idea. They were just in crisis mode. And they just, they just ran to Jesus. And they said, listen, here's the thing. I've heard of who you are. I'm putting my life into your hands. However you decide this thing goes down is up to you. But I'm going to run to you because you are who you say that you are. So as I look at this text, one of the things that I struggled with just in reading it, um, even a few years ago as I was processing this, I look at how Jesus is responding in the midst of crisis. And I begin to put myself in that situation to say, well, you know, why am I not more like Jesus? Right? Like when crisis takes place, look at Jesus. Jesus is calm, right? He's engaging, he's relational with people. He's like, oh, I know you're in crisis, but... I'm chill, I'm good, right? I'm unhurried, right? Jesus, listen, urgency comes from a understanding of lack. Jesus never lacked. So he was never urgent. But here's the thing. We're not Jesus in the passage, y'all. We're these people. We have urgency, we have lack. So what do we do with it? We run to Jesus. So do me a favor. When you're reading this passage and you're getting in, you're diving in, don't initially read the passage and say, why am I not more like Jesus? Don't do it. See, Jesus is calling you out in this moment. He's saying that he wants something from, uh, he is saying you want something from me, but I want something more for you. He wants to call you a son and a daughter. He wants to restore you in your relationship. We want to come face to face with Jesus. This is what the text is telling us to run to Jesus. That's, that's what we do because that's what the text calls us to do. Jesus loves us. He is who he says that he is. He loves you more than you love even for yourself, more cares for you more than you care for yourself. And ultimately, he takes on our deepest crisis. So run to Jesus. That's what we do. 
and let Jesus be the answer. And however he deals with it is how he deals with it. But we can trust him. Our fate is in his hands. That's what the text is about. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Lord, if we're not in crisis, we will be in one. And again, even the ultimate crisis always is just waiting for us to deal with, especially if we are unaware. I pray, Lord, that we've learned what it means to run to you. And I thank you, Lord, that you care. Call us sons and daughters today. I pray that we become face to face with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.